Welcome in to Weekly Edition. Joining us this week is Lieutenant Governor Howie Morales, who's here specifically to talk about the census in New Mexico, and we'll see if he's got some time to talk about some other statewide topics. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, thank you for taking the time today. Thank you. I always enjoy the opportunity to share information and answer questions uh, on important issues to New Mexicans. So let's start with what is the census and why is it important for New Mexico? Yeah, the census is extremely important. Um, when we talk about this, I, I want to remind everyone, this is something that's done every 10 years. And it's basically a, a population count of how many people are living in the state of New Mexico. Very instrumental and important when we talk about resources. And, and I know things have been tough. I know that when you have at the forefront of all of our minds is COVID and containing the virus and making sure that we can do all we can to keep each other safe. In order to do that as well as we have to make sure that we're getting counted appropriately to ensure that we're getting resources that will last for the next decade. And so that count, I guess, how are we doing uh, as a state? Well, as a state, we, we definitely can can improve on that. We, we need to get um, as many people 100% if possible, uh, get them counted. Uh, but right now, we're not performing at the level that, that we should be performing. And that's why there's an the effort to get out, make sure to educate people and to move past some of the, the um, concerns, some of the myths that may be out there when you're talking about the census, and to let people know that it's, but it's extremely important for it to be done. So what are some of those uh, myths that you encounter? Some of these um, myths that we hear is that um, there's concern of what questions that might be asked, um, concerns like uh, asking a political affiliation, uh, concerns that it would be asking, uh, you know, if there's a connection with serving in jury duty or citizenship questions. Um, and, and basically what the census is, is just a population count uh, with basic questions that are asked, nothing that is intrusive as some of the concerns that may be out there would indicate that uh, that those are some of the questions. It's not, and, and the census um, uh, team has really made it easy and accessible to go on and to answer these questions, be done within five minutes, and most importantly, have you counted within our state. Somebody asked me this once, and I didn't have a great answer. Uh, when we talk about rate of, of answer return for the census workers, when they say the state is at blank percent, I guess, how do they know how we're doing how do they know that we're at 80 or 70 or 100 percent if if they already knew the count? What's the point of the census? I think that you look and there's constant updates over the decade um, of updated census numbers that are there um, used for different purposes, whether it's housing, whether it's schools. So it's going off of those numbers that are that are the most recent numbers that are given there. But again, as things change from the last census numbers that were used um, back in 2010, to the census numbers are here, and so I think it shows that in that indication and the percentage coming off of the previous, uh, but yet the most updated census count um, given from local governments all the way to the state level. Politically active people understand the importance of the census. They understand that it's a constitutional requirement, but to the people who are less active, less civically minded, what do they care if New Mexico gets its federal dollars or not? It affects all of us, and I think that when we talk about the importance of what this means, um, we all have children that go to school. We all have uh, hospital services, healthcare services that that we utilize. Many in our state, we're a high Medicaid population. 
um, that also um, benefits from that. And then we're all represented by a congressional delegation. So one thing that's not realized is that when you look and see the population numbers, it also determines how many uh, congressional delegation uh, representatives that you'll have. And currently we're at three and we want to make sure that we have the more representation, the better, because more resources that come into our community. How can someone fill out the census uh, right now? Yeah, it's very simple. Like I said, I commend the Census um, Bureau for all the work that they've done to make it accessible. There's two ways that you can you can do it. And one is by calling 1-844-330-2020 or go online at 2020census.gov. And again, it's a quick, easy process, um, and it's very important to do that. You know, one area that I think was utilized right when COVID had broke out was that there was actually information that was mailed to people or maybe some that were left at the doors. If people don't have those forms and they don't uh, remember where they placed them or just don't have them anymore, go online or call the phone number and you can get the information. You don't need those papers to fill out the census. And what are the questions uh, that are on the census? Do you have to answer all of them? Yeah, I think you know, that's a good question, whether you have to answer all of them, because I think when I did mine that um, in order to go on to the next question, but they're pretty basic, um, you know, basically things like what's your phone number? Um, do you own or rent your home? Um, who lives in your household? Um, how many are related age of each person? Uh, male or female, and then race, and, and that's it. And so it's pretty simple, but I can't remember if you could advance to the next question by not answering one. I don't think you can, and I also think you, you're you required to answer all of them. Yeah, and what it doesn't ask is it doesn't ask um, your Social Security number, it doesn't ask your political affiliation or your citizenship status. And, I, and again, that's important. What we simply want to make sure that people understand is it's a population count that has tremendous impact and benefit if we're appropriately counted. I also assume that a, uh, a door-to-door count of people uh, creates a number of avenues for us to have some sort of fraud or some people who aren't real census takers. Uh, is that the case? That's a good point. I think that there's been fear about people going door to door. Um, that's been somewhat subsided a little bit just because the, the COVID and not having people um, go out there and, and putting themselves and others at risk. But I do think that as you get closer to it, there'll probably be people that will go that unless you're counted. If you're counted and you've done your census, um, you don't have to worry about having people come to your door because you've already been counted and the information in your address has already been tabulated. So that's a good motivator is for people uh, not wanting to have census takers come to their door, uh, go ahead and do it online or make the phone call. And if somebody's asking for your social security number, your credit card information, then they are most likely not a census taker. Yeah, they're definitely not. If you're asked, being asked your um, credit card information or social security number, uh, that's not part of the census group. And please report that as soon as possible. We want to keep people safe. Once again, so the census is a count. The uh, it's easy to do if you got it in the mail. You can do it online if not. And um, how does it benefit an everyday New Mexican? It benefits us greatly. Uh, the more people, the more resources, the more funding that comes in um, everywhere from road projects again to healthcare facilities and services, uh, Medicaid beds, and then our school systems. So there's definitely a, a benefit to each one of us. And all it takes is all of us doing our part and be counted. And how can people take the census right now if they're listening? 
Yeah, we just go in and, and there's two ways to do it. If you don't have your mail-in application, just go to 2020census.gov or a phone call at 1-844-330-2020 and you can get counted uh, in quick as five-minute time. Awesome. And uh, we're speaking today with Lieutenant Governor Howie Morales. Can we talk some about COVID and some sort of statewide updates with you? Yes, absolutely. I think that a lot of people uh, are frustrated sometimes with COVID in they're doing their part, they're wearing a mask, they're socially distancing, uh, and other people aren't. How do you feel like New Mexico has done overall? Well, I just want to re- remind New Mexicans when we came in this, there was a lot that we didn't know about this. Uh, but New Mexico had really come out and really was a leader um, and a model for other states of how we're able to take this on aggressively and to make sure that we're doing all we can to keep people safe. And and I think that that was indication of our hospitals not being overrun, uh, making sure we had enough protective equipment. Um, so I do want to make sure New Mexicans know that, that I understand and I credit them for the work that they've done. Obviously, as time has gone on, our numbers have crept up, and we see the concern there, especially when you have states surrounding us who are really um, uh, seeing tremendous spikes. Um, it was nice to see the information that was presented last week and showing that uh, we did flatten the curve again, and I think that's a positive trend. We did see our numbers going down, but we can always do better, and we can always do our part to make sure that we can have a safe reopening of our schools, of our businesses, and our state. And so I want to just remind everyone, it takes each one of us to do that, washing your hands, wearing your mask, socially distancing yourself, because we can continue to be that leader across the country by showing what we do to take care of each other in New Mexico. Why do you think that mask wearing gets more pushback in New Mexico than like California, for example? I'm not sure if we get more pushback. I think that that's just, uh, you know, continually in the national media that there's um, resistance to that. And it's become some of a political issue. Maybe some who don't believe that the virus is much of a threat. But we have to look at the science and we have to look at the data. And these are decisions that have been made in the state. And the commitment is usually utilizing the data and the science as a guiding post of what needs to be done. And the data shows and and health experts all across the world will say this has tremendous impact if you just wear your mask and make sure you can contain those droplets that can uh, spread the virus. Doing that simple act has had tremendous results in other states that we've seen. I think the governor was quoted as saying she think or she sees the New Mexico mask wearing at fifty percent. Uh, I live in you know Bernalillo County. I, I I see much higher than that. I'm not sure what it's like in the nether parts of the state. Uh, where do you think mask wearing is in the state? I think it's definitely has improved. Um, I live in the rural parts of the state. I live here in Silver City, um, down in the south. And I did see that there was a heavy um, uh, non-use of the mask. But I see that with collaboration with businesses who are mandating an safety issue, we encourage people to make sure to practice that. Do you think there's a problem of the length of time that we're asking people to socially distance, that distance, that People can sort of, I guess, maybe for a few weeks, a few months, but when you start pushing into 90 days or 180 days that people just can't, as social creatures, just can't do that forever. Do you think that that's a hurdle that is something we can't overcome? 
That's definitely a hurdle, and, and we all have good, uh, COVID fatigue. And we're uh, New Mexicans, and New Mexicans, we like to shake hands, we like to give hugs, we like to um, give fist bumps and be, be um, that personal um, approach and meeting with one another. And that's been difficult. Um, again, the quicker, quickest way to get out of this is to make sure that we're doing the simple things that I just mentioned uh, to ensure that we don't have to um, take all the precautions because we've been able to get the numbers down and we've been able to do our part to beat this virus. And, you know, there's always a race to see when a vaccine will come out. But at the same time as we do have the power within ourselves to do what we can to get those numbers down and keep people safe. One of the numbers that the governor has concentrated on seems to be with young people. And one of the things that I never really put together was that the amount of time that she and other people featured on the governor's press conferences spend talking to young people. Uh, it just feels like young people aren't the ones watching these press conferences, that if that's not the way to reach young people, do you have a sense of if that's reaching the people it's targeted at? No, that, that's a great point, and I think that's something that would require further discussion. But I, I do know that the press conferences um, get a lot, a lot of, of viewers and a lot of feedback, both positive and negative comments, as, as I'll see that uh, many times. And so I think that, um, you know, I don't know exactly the breakdown of age that is there, but you have that, um, that mid-age, maybe 18 to 25 or 18 to 35 group that we see such a high rate of cases. Um, that those individuals understand that they may be more social. They may be ones who are out and, and about doing more things, that they continue to, to do what they can to keep us safe and really get those numbers down because um, they may be healthy, they may feel fine, they may uh, be asymptomatic, but the impact that it has to those around them is a real concern. So that's the concern is to make sure that they understand and hear the message. And I'll take that back of how we can better communicate well, I think that's one of the criticisms that I've heard is when we went into this, everyone felt like we're all on the same page. Let's flatten the curve, particularly from older New Mexicans who are most susceptible to this disease. It feels like a moving of the goalpost to now be saying, hey, young people, you're now the ones like they're not the ones who are going to be in the hospital. They're not the ones who statistically are going to be taking up those ICU beds. It it sort of feels like what started as let's flatten the curve has now become let's let's stamp out the virus. But it, it didn't feel that way at the beginning. And I've heard that criticism a lot. Yeah. And I think when you came in and at the beginning is it was so much that we didn't know here and you saw what was happening where there was a spikes that were continually taking taking shape to curve that that uh, to flatten that curve was was absolutely critical. And and we did that and we got to that point and did that. And obviously, as with any curve, there could be the, the uh, spikes at any time. And we saw that happening, too. But I was uh, very, uh, very pleased to see that, again, in the last press conference, showing that uh, we did flatten the curve. Now we continue to get that down, get the infection rate down. Um, we're, we'll have the, the results that we want in this state. So the goalposts haven't moved. Um, the gating criteria has stayed the same. The goal has always been to flatten the curve and then ultimately defeat this virus. And by the numbers that were shown over the last three days, we, we've seemed to have made some some positive strides there. We just have to make sure that's going to be done over the long haul. 
I think most everyone would compliment the governor on how quickly she moved, how we didn't reopen too quickly, that we've had a cautious and reserved approach to kind of all of this. But I do think that there's another criticism of the governor and how these orders have come down, that it seems like while we move swiftly to close things down, we've not moved as swiftly to, let's say, turn over parking spaces to outdoor dining or to create some incentives for workarounds for business. Do you find that to be the case? I know that there's no easy answer to to all that is, is uh, we're dealing with, and I know that um, you know looking back, there may be things that we may have done differently. But having to make the decision uh, based on what needed to be done at the time with the information we knew, I thought that New Mexico and the governor did a good job of doing that. Um, now, as, as we move forward and, and, you know, we had our special session and trying to get as much re- relief out to small businesses, much relief out to local governments that can help provide those services. Those are being rolled out right now as we speak. And I would encourage those that, that need the assistance that they look at the NewMexico.gov website to get that. Uh, and again, is this is information that I utilize and I take back and, and ask the questions of our own team of uh, what could be done to improve the efficiencies of what we're doing as well. I think the biggest problem for most people in how this pandemic has been handled statewide is they feel like they don't understand the logic. So I'm not sure if they don't understand the logic or if the logic isn't being communicated. But for example, hey, why is outdoor uh, okay for a brewery, but not for a winemaker or for a distillery? Or why couldn't bars have outdoor seating when restaurants can? Um, How do you respond to that? Yeah, and again, those are valid points. And I think that there's a lot of question that's out there. We can always do better, as I stated um, as a state to help land the curve, to keep the numbers down. But we can also always do better as a state government to make sure we're communicating that as well. And when you look and see um, some of the decisions that were made, again, they weren't perfect. And we, we try to fix those. And I know the wineries being a perfect example of, of making those adjustments. And, and I know that was done last week. Um, to help and to assist some of those business owners. Um, but again, is these are valuable points that are that are brought out because we continue to learn on this. Now, as far as moving things quicker, that, that is determined on the virus. That's determined on the time until we get that vaccine. And that's what we're all hoping for. That's what we're praying for is to have that vaccine, but recognizing that we all can do our part until then. So what is next? Um, how do how do we move forward? What can New Mexicans look for as the kind of benchmarks? Um, I understand it's all hinged on vaccines and, and some of those things, too. Yeah. So so looking forward, I know that this week there might be even some more changes that come in. So there's a lot of things that I think New Mexicans can be looking at right now as we continue to look at the the virus and seeing the numbers. I know with the health order, there's going to be some uh, changes made to that. Um, and maybe, you know, areas dealing with health care. If people need to go across state lines to have medical uh appointments um, because they're specialists in those areas. I think that we'll be looking at that and just daily looking at the numbers to make sure that we can uh, make appropriate changes as necessary. I mean, we're coming into the school year and and that's a concern because that brings a whole other set of questions and a whole other set of of issues that we're going to have to deal with. 
it goes back to doing our part and seeing the impact of wearing the mask, social distancing, and um, and doing what we can to make sure that we're washing our hands and all these safe practices that really do make a big impact. Um, I know that we're all looking for the virus. I'm sorry for the vaccine to come in to assist with the virus. Uh, but until then, we must all do our part to keep each other safe. That's one other thing that I uh, when I it's I think becoming more difficult for people to imagine this sort of just returning entirely back to normal. Is that where the where you guys are up at the roundhouse? <laughs> You know, it, it is something that when we look back in normal, March was a long time away, and there's a lot of changes that have occurred. I know from a business setting and from uh, the way that operations are done, I think that the way of life has come into Zoom and utilizing the the opportunity to be uh, efficient in that way. Um, when we look and see the practices in place, when we go back to restaurants and we go back to shopping, um, all the things that are going to be in place just to keep people safe, because even though the virus may have a vaccine one day, it's still a threat. And we want to make sure this virus and any other virus that we can learn from it and continue to keep people safe. So I think in a sense, this may be a new normal um, and there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from it. And how do you think New Mexico has done overall? I think New Mexico, and you know, I give credit to our governor and really being aggressive from the very beginning, uh, took this seriously. And when we talk about the seriousness of it, um, maybe there were some things that we did that perhaps may not have to be done. We didn't know at the time, but we knew we had to have bed space available for our healthcare facilities. We knew we had to have uh, protective equipment for our frontline caregivers and service members. And we knew that we had to have as many tests as possible to identify what was happening in our state. It's a continual challenge, but I thought New Mexico did a good job in the beginning. And again, I give credit to the people of the state who have taken this. Uh, can you talk to me about what voting may look like this year in a, in a middle of a pandemic like this? I used to be a county clerk, and so I know the stressors that come in on conducting and, and making sure the voting process is always protected and, and accessible for voters across the, the state. Um, I saw in the primary election that our county clerks did a good job in making sure people were safe, making sure that information was out there. Um, and those that wanted to take part of the application or, or doing it by mail did so. And those that wanted to go on election day and cast their vote, they did it in a safe way. Um, so that that's another area that's got a lot of discussion and a lot of debate. Um, I just think that from a poll worker uh, standpoint, is keeping them safe as much as possible. Um, mail in that that ballot. Mail in your your voice. Have it be heard, and to have a high turnout like we did in the primary election. That's one area where even our president has been skeptical of voter fraud. Is there any concern for fraud when you start talking about a massive amount of the population mailing in their ballots? It's the same process that we've seen with our, you know, have used for, for decades with our military members and those overseas um, who have casted their vote. And it's the same process there. And I can tell you as a county clerk and as an election official, uh, the safeguards that are in place are, are absolutely in there to make sure that that vote is counted. Um, obviously, when you have to work with the, with the Postal Service, you have to make sure they have the resources necessary as well. And so I think it's um, something that has to be pointed out whenever you're cutting resources for the Postal Service, who will actually be doing the mailing of the or the delivering of the ballots, that we have to give them the resources necessary to have a smooth elective process.
Lieutenant Governor Howie Morales, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank, thank you. Yeah. So again, I encourage people to uh, get out there, uh, 2020census.gov. Um, September 30th is the deadline, so we want to make sure you're counted before that day. With the remaining time we have this week, we wanted to talk about a topic that's been on everybody's mind, public schools and the return of students to in-classroom learning. 96.3 News Radio KKOB's Bob Clark caught up with the Albuquerque Public Schools Interim Superintendent Scott Elder this week. Now, as you know, uh, even under the even under normal circumstances, uh, w- w- those first couple of weeks back at school, uh, as you as you said, some some problems can can pop up, some issues that have to be dealt with uh, that maybe you didn't necessarily anticipate. How does that dynamic change with distance learning? Let's be honest. We've been asked to redesign education in five months, and yeah. this is completely different, right? So parents aren't used to it, students aren't used to it, uh, teachers aren't used to it. So I think there'll be some hiccups, just like you said, just a normal year hiccups happen. And this is not a normal year. This is as strange a time as you know, any of us have lived through. So I anticipate some hiccups and some, some rocky road to start, but we're in a lot better shape than we were in the spring. We learned a lot of lessons, and uh, I think we're better prepared. And people have had time to think about how they're going to handle it on the home front as well. So I, I think we're in better shape. What, what kind of feedback have you been getting from, uh, from parents? leading up to this uh, to this new school year? Um, I'm hearing from a lot of people. Uh, I hear people that are, you know, wondering about how we're going to deal with access and Internet and how they're going to have a device. Um, I have other people who are ready to go. You know, they really want to get the kids online and, and start day one and, and, and let's go. So it, it, I, it, it's a spectrum, right? Yeah. You don't hear any one message. You hear a lot of messages. Well, and let's talk about that. What about access for all students as it regards to um, computers and, and you know tablets and things like that, and for areas of the district where Internet access is not readily available? As far as devices, we came up with a plan where we are breaking down all our computer labs. Um, we've been taking down all what we call computers on wheels or cows. These are little carts that we're able to move from room to room, and we've broken all those down so every student will have a device. Uh, every student that needs one will have a device. So we've, we've solved that problem. Uh, access, last spring we did a lot of negotiations with some of our local providers, such as Comcast, uh, and they provide some very inexpensive Internet options. And we are working with them to make sure that all our kids have some access. We're also working with the city uh, in terms of their hotspots again uh, to try to create mobile hotspots for people who need to go to a place and and get it. We're hoping that they'll bump up some of their internet, say at the community centers, libraries, uh, public spaces. We're asking that we we put the internet hotspots on our buses last year and we were parking them in school parking lots. We're trying to negotiate maybe there are some areas of town that we could put more buses out in, uh, maybe not just at schools so that people had easier access, say like city park, so people could sit at the park and get access. Um, so that's those are things we're working on. And in the city is, uh, of Albuquerque is working with you on that issue as well, right? Yeah, it's the city. It, it, they've done a great job. They've been a wonderful partner. That's one thing that's come out of this COVID, it's, as awful as it's been. Um, community partnerships have really strengthened. People have really pulled together, and the city's been a great partner. 
uh, APS Interim Superintendent Scott Elder with us here on 96.3 News Radio KKOB. Teachers have been given the option uh, in terms of, all right, where do they want to be when they're teaching their students virtually? They, they have the option to actually come to their school and do it from their building, but they also have the access, they also have the ability to stay at home from that perspective. Do you have a breakdown yet in terms of how many teachers you, you, you think will remain at home and how many will be coming into class, into school? Um, well, we know that we had about 3,500 to 3,800 teachers apply to work from home. They had to they put in a, a form. I think for parents that have, you know, teachers are parents, they have kids. I think yeah. for a lot of them it's easier to, to do that from home with their children while they're not in the school. A lot of our teachers want to be in the classroom because that's where the materials are. That's where the Internet access is solid. Um, they, they can use their you know, device and the materials they have in the classroom easier. So I'm, I'm going to guess it'll it'll vary from day to day but initially those are the numbers we're dealing with scott what about um attendance and grades uh, and how that's going to be handled here as we start a new school year versus obviously how it ended at the end of right. last school year so part of the problem with grading last spring was that we had the access issues right so it was really hard to assign grades to children that might not have been able to get online to do the work and i think that was the reason for the the grading policy that we finished it starting this year the grades are going to happen so you 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 have to be there you have to participate Um, attendance online you know obviously there's times when you have to be in the class with the teacher that's attendance, all right? Uh, some of it will also be picked up by, did you get online? Did you do the work that was assigned? Um, you know, you had work that was, say, student-directed. You had to read ahead. You had to fill out a worksheet. Did that occur? That indicates attendance as well. All right, very good. Hey, Scott, I appreciate you coming on the show today, and best of luck to you. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the time, and stay safe. Everybody right, wear your mask so we can get those kids back in school. All right, there you go. Uh, That is Scott Elder, the interim superintendent for Albuquerque Public Schools. Thank you to 96.3 News Radio KKOB's Bob Clark, and thank you for being here. This has been Weekly Edition.